Welcome to 2LO Rebooted, where we tell the stories of BBC design and engineering. I'm Bill Thompson. For the next few programmes, we're handing over to the team in BBC Research and Development as they explore some fundamental issues around the design of digital services and how we measure their impact. These programmes were recorded during the pandemic when travel and sharing studios wasn't really possible in the UK, so the recording quality is occasionally variable. Hi, and welcome to the BBC R&D Human Values podcast series with me, Ian Forrester, and my colleague, Leanne Curlin. Over five episodes, we'll dig into the human values work that we're doing inside BBC R&D, welcome external guests, and explore how our practice resonates in areas such as measurement, applications, and the post-COVID world. This work is one way in which we're exploring how human values can be expressed through the technologies that dominate many people's lives in the digital age. Our findings are informing engineering and design practices, and we are developing a way to measure the impact that services have on people. We want to make sure that we know that the services we offer are based on the human values that matter to people and that we really meet people's needs. In this programme, you'll hear from Brian Suda, developer and writer based in Iceland, who runs the Material Conference. David Jay, who leads mobilisation efforts at the Centre for Humane Technology, which campaigns for technologies that serve human interests. Kachabago from Nesta, who is leading their work on the Next Generation Internet Project for the European Commission. Pauline Drescher from Netherlands Film Festival, who is a member of the steering group of publicspaces.net. Alexandra Deschamps-Sansino from Design Swarm, a leading ethical thinker in the design space. And Solana Larson, editor of the Internet Health Report at the Mozilla Foundation. So, Leanne, what's our research shown so far? The Human Value Framework established by BBC R&D is based on a research project that we did where we looked at human needs, motivations of behaviour and psychological drivers that shape our everyday behaviour in the digital world. We, as part of the project, identified 14 core values, which are achieving goals, being inspired, being safe and well, belonging to a group, connecting with others, exploring, expressing feeling impactful, growing, having autonomy, having stability, pursuing pleasure, receiving recognition and understanding oneself. So I think we should start by defining value because there are lots of definitions out there and I think it's really important that we set the ground and explain how we are approaching the notion of value. We define human value in a psychological sense. So not only is it something that we deem to be important, but it's an expression of an underlying need or motivation of behaviour. We define it in a personal sense, and that is on purpose, because if we are looking to deliver technology on this personal level, it's really important that we first understand what value is on a personal level before we move out to anything else. Let's hear from David Jay, Head of Mobilisation at the Centre of Humane Technology, about why values matter in designing the tech systems and services that we all use today. I think that um, the, these, the values that you have um, speak to so many of the things that 
I see, um, frankly, pe people inside of the tech industry wanting to create for the people around them. Um, and, uh, uh, and it varies a lot. I think for some people, you know, you have pursuing pleasure as one value. I know people who, um, they, they're like, they grew up with video games. They really love video games and like allowing people to have fun with video games is their pleasure. I know other people who would look at that and they grew up in this deeply embodied place around dance. And they're all about kind of figuring out how to use technology to get people to disengage from screens to move their bodies. Um, so so there's, there's such a, a wide range of things that each one of these values can mean feeling impactful. Um, what connecting with others means. Uh, when I hear that phrase, from someone at Nextdoor who's interested in having neighbors talk to neighbors versus um, when I hear that phrase from people who uh, work in family psychology and they're really thinking about the, the depths of how the relationships, the, the most important relationships we have in our lives can become more balanced and stable. It means really, really fundamentally different things. But I think being able to bring these out and ask questions about you know, what, what do each of these things mean for us? What do each of these things mean for the people who um, we're, we're trying to serve and how do we, how do we um, bring those together? I think this is a really good place to embark upon that exploration. Picking up on what David said about values playing out differently for different people, it's what we see in our data in that people often take different actions to sometimes fulfill the same values. So you simply cannot determine somebody's needs or their values based on the actions that you just see, which is extremely common for companies, as well as for all of us, we make these assumptions about somebody's needs or their values based on their actions and their behavior. For example, in the tech world, we've got reams of data about all of us, about what we do, when we do it, every click, every link, every share, and then attempt to ascertain reasons and needs based on that behavior. This happens quite a lot. And that link between the needs that sit right at the bottom of an iceberg, if we take that analogy, which really drive that behavior that sits on the top, which is the thing that we see misses out the middle ground which is the value layer and of course the way we did our research was shaped by these considerations you really have to do a lot of in-depth research and study enough people to really understand this and you have to really delve into the psychological needs to understand people and to really understand from that value and needs level why people are acting in the way that they do and this is how we did our research through really doing a lot of work to really really understand why people act the way they do and what they value and what the underlying needs are the, the values I see as like elements of a story and obviously storytelling is kind of core to to humans so when people talk about what things happen and mean to them the experiences and stuff like that they talk in these same terms which is really really important because it's no good having these kind of weird and wonderful values that don't really link to things that people recognize for example I got home I closed the door I was safe and well. Or, the quality of my life is better with lots of friends from different walks of life. You can hear the importance of stories echoed by David. So my background is in technology and movement building. And there's a way that um, values are explored and understood in the social movements that I've been part of. Uh, it's, 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 a, it's a thing that's talked about really explicitly, like a process. Um, 
And that is that you understand values through story. That the way that I understand a value is that I deeply examine my own story. So uh, I'm part of a value that really, uh, a community that really values connection and really values a, a wide range of different kinds of connection. So I, I have to really understand the story of what connection means to me. I have to get up and tell that story vulnerably in front of other people to give them permission to tell their own story about what connection means to them. And then through the intersection, through understanding the intersection of my story and all the other stories I hear, that's how I understand the value. That's how, that's how I understand the, the, the complex value that the group holds and all the different ways that it manifests. Um, but that storytelling is gonna give me a, a level of um, depth and complexity understanding and the ability to imagine how connection can be like my experience and deeply unlike my experience in the lives of others. Like it takes that storytelling to get there. I could never get there by saying, okay, how much connection do I have by some arbitrary metric? How much connection do you have? How much connection do you have? And how do we get all of us to make that number go up? Stories are so important and the storytelling aspect, it's one of the main things that we did with people. We got people to describe their behavior, their lives, their stories to really understand what was driving that behavior. Let me give you an example because everybody likes an example. You might see somebody running. This is things that people talk about quite a lot in our data, that running is a behavior that a lot of people do. Now, the value and the needs that sit behind that are sometimes quite different. For some people, it might be to be healthy, to stay fit and to have stability. For others, it might be their only means of having a social connection. And for other people, it might be that they are achieving a goal. These these stories, these values are really powerful when you start to look at how it affects people at different ages and at the same age as well, which is, you know, because there's, there's always this term of like, you're over a certain age, obviously you're in this big group with everyone else. And that's, that's what this these values demonstrate. Or <laughs> It's just not true. The example I always use is the, the 16-year-old having a baby and the 30-year-old having a baby. Their values are probably very similar at that time. What you're talking about is essentially the notion of a value priority. Values are very fluid in the sense that they change at different points in our lives. In our research, we find this when we get people to reflect back to previous stages of life and also project their idea of what might be important to them at a future stage of life. We wanted to understand audiences in more meaningful ways than the arbitrary age and gender demographics that we're all quite used to. These audience demographics came essentially came out of the advertising world to segment people in this way to tailor things to different groups. But in this day and age, lifestyles are not linear the internet has enabled so much freedom over lifestyle choices, which means that two people at the same age might seem quite radically different in their lifestyles and their choices and in their behaviours. And the reverse is true too, where you've got two people might be very similar, but years, if not decades apart. Our data shows that when you start looking beyond audiences, age and gender as a way to segment them, we can start really delving into meaningful understanding of audiences. To give this an example, let's take someone at age 20. 
two people, their lifestyles might be hugely varied. Some people still in education, some might be traveling the world, or they were pre-COVID. Some becoming parents that like you talked about, which shows in their value priorities, and this is something that we find. So what we do is we delve deeper into the psychological understanding of people at those specific stages of life to really unpick the needs and motivations that drive their actions. And by understanding their values at specific stages of life, rather than age, we can get a richer insight into what is fundamentally important to people. Being safe and well is always the key human value because it links to our very fundamental need to be alive and to survive. It links back to evolutionary times when we were hunter-gatherers. Maslow talks about it, you can read about it in all psychological models of human need. And it's this sense of what we're trying to look at is a well-being measure or a well-being set of values. So things like being safe and well, having stability, connecting with others, these things that we know are pillars of health. And we see them being somewhat compromised right now as we're recording in the COVID-19 pandemic. The values of being healthy, being safe, being stable, connecting with others has been really important and heightened almost. Brian Suda, author, developer, makes the point that we should consider how young people are engaged. No, I think uh, looking at the well-being is super important, especially with younger children, because if you can increase the well-being at an early age, then that sort of has a ripple effect for the next 70 plus years of their life. And as those people get older, if their well-being is better, then society's well-being is better. And there's the quote where a rising tide lifts all boats. And I think that would be very much the case here. If everyone is well-being and happy and content, then you have all these great sort of side effects. You know, culture blossoms, and people are less stressed and less worried. And just in general, society becomes a better place. Pauline Dresler from Public Spaces and the Netherlands Film Festival sees it in terms of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Because some of the values are really very in the core of the Maslow pyramids, right? Like being safe and well. And and then you you, you grow when when you have that, having stability, etc. Then you come to other things like expressing yourself or having autonomy or achieving your goals. You are listening to the Human Values Framework podcast series. There are other factors at work, as we'll hear from Katja Bago, principal researcher from Nesta. Because uh, you asked me about an example, if I could think of something in my project, so that's a bit by asking. So I think there's one thing I could think of is that we noticed quite a bit is maybe the having autonomy and it's quite interesting I guess in the next generation internet discussions that a lot of those talks like or a lot of that debate is probably indeed focused a bit too much on the behavioral layer but probably much deeper down like the things that make people uncomfortable they need some like privacy debates that are very different actually in effect if you think they want to have control over is much more kind of in the complexity not understanding not feeling that like you can sort of honor, understand the choices that you're making is much more that than maybe uh, some of the other debates that we're having about this. I found that very interesting to see if people are necessarily aware 
where there are discomfort sometimes is, for example, with something so coming from it, from the other side in those kinds of debates. With the 14 different values that we have, we wanted to ask if there's any values that people felt we were missing. Let's hear from David. So there, there's some things that I would, I would call out of these. Um, you, you talk about being safe and well, and you talk about pursuing pleasure. I think, a, a, and, and to me, something that's critical in those is embodiment helping people to be present and balanced and, and joyful in their bodies, uh, um, which, which is, is a, a piece of, but not all of either of those things, but something that matters deeply with me. Um, you talk about understanding myself and belonging to a group. Uh, and something that I think a lot about is, um, is lineage. The importance of understanding rootedness in history, um, and how the, the things I'm experiencing, the struggles I'm experiencing um, ha are, are part of a, a kind of powerful story of the past. Um, and, uh, and so I think that I can, I, I look at these and I, there, there, there's, there's nothing missing. Everything can be accessed through these. Uh, there, there are some things that I would, um, some, some things that I would, I would, emphasize differently and if I were building a taxonomy, but I think that that's fine. I like that you don't have, you don't have money here. You have achieving goals <laughs> and having stability. One that I'm curious about is receiving recognition because I, in, in my experience, and this is in, in the sort of movement building world and in the tech world, often, often recognition is a path to one of these other values. It's, I want to be recognized uh, because I want to feel part of a group or I want to be connected with others or because it's, it's a path to some goal I have um, or because recognition means that I'm going to be stable. Um, but uh, I, I, in a way that some, many of these values feel like their own ends, um, uh, I, don't I don't have it feels like recognition is, is a path to something, but I'm curious what you all uh, found around that. The value of receiving recognition is underpinned by our needs for self-esteem. The majority of our self-esteem needs can be met from feeling value within ourselves. So those things such as self-worth, self-value, self-acceptance, but we have social aspects that require other people to essentially validate us and to boost our self-esteem because we are social animals. So the respect and the appreciation of other people helps us to feel included. And it comes back to that group behavior, group needs, social needs again. We see this in people that have this missing. When efforts go unnoticed, people are at risk of feeling inferior and become less productive, less motivated. We see this in research quite a lot where a lack of acknowledgement or approval in workplaces can be associated with stress symptoms or lower confidence in their job and in their performance. The value of receiving recognition is underpinned by other people providing an external validation that can boost our self-esteem and in turn we feel accepted by the group and by other people. I don't want to confuse this with those need for likes and numbers that we see on social media because that's a really unethical means of fulfilling a need for self-esteem. 
And like I said, the majority of our self-esteem needs do come from the feeling within ourselves. The social media means of fulfilling that need is really unethical. We see this in research all the time where people feel as if they become dependent on on those means to fulfill those needs. It's an important one to recognise that receiving recognition has a place, but in an ethical sense. Back to David J, Head of Mobilisation at the Centre for Humane Technology. One of the things I hear in what you're saying is it's between... Um, it, and this is my language, but the interesting receiving recognition and being seen, that there's a, uh, that, that to, to there, there's, there's a deeper need, and I think it could also be met to, in some of the other these, to like, um, to feel understood, accepted, and celebrated. Um, that, can, you know, doesn't necessarily happen if your Instagram post blows up because that's not understanding. When we started seeing systems, dark patterns, basically kind of encouraging people to like and to try and fulfill their needs, um, which actually fulfills the need of the organization or the company or the service rather than your own needs. And sometimes the value it's never wasn't never really kind of clear and now you've written this kind of framework which kind of starts to help unpick some of this what we did was we turned the 14 human values into a framework that has two parts it has a design element and it has a measurement element we have spent a lot of time developing the former the design framework is a toolkit that has a number of elements it's modular so you can use different parts at different times. Within that we have a pack of cards which have value statements written on them as well as behaviours, actions and needs in practical senses, the, the doing and the being states of us which help creators to learn more about their audience's values and value priorities. They've been created and designed in a way to extract the most important values of specific audiences we also have an ethical kit as part of that design toolkit, which poses key questions to designers to ensure that design is created in ways for good and not ways to compromise these values. The ethical kit aims to get people to think deeply about the way that they design things and to develop their empathy. If we put human values before the ideation, before the design, we can really take a step back and ask why. And that why is so fundamentally important. And what is it that my product, my service, my research is intended to do for people that will enable them to fulfill their human values in ways that are not driven by just increasing the number of my audience or the time that my audience spends with my thing, which brings me quite nicely onto the measurement part of the framework, which we will talk about more detail in a later podcast. But essentially, if we're not guided by screen time, attention, eyeballs, what value could we add? These are the sort of questions that we are asking when we create this framework of measurement. It's similar to maximization for money. When you're guided by profit, that becomes the main driver. Unfortunately, we're all in habits of making things for numbers and for screen time, but it might mean thinking radically different from how we have usually. It might be uncomfortable. It might mean to not think technology first, solution first, but to depart away from that, to think about people first, so we can start to answer some bigger questions in society, such as how does this add 
to the balance of people's lives. The overarching aim of the framework is to put human values right at the start so we can question where we would end up and then to measure the impact that we have had on people's human values and how we have helped people to fulfil their human values. People who we interviewed, they love the, the language. You can tell us a bit about the language. We, we kind of touched on it a bit before about storytelling. These are, I think Catcher calls it active language. They can be used in storytelling. They can be used in all different ways. They're, they're active, they're actionable, they're tangible. The language is a really fascinating one. I don't think I've ever spent so long on a project where I've had to change, edit and iterate the language as much as this one. We deliberately, myself and colleagues, wrote the human values in a way that could be accessible to everybody. So we wanted to develop empathy. We wanted people to imagine themselves in the values. And that's the way we wrote them. What we did was write them in a really simple language so that absolutely everybody could understand them. We stripped them of all the psychological jargon. What sits behind the values is a lot of theoretical knowledge of psychology, neuroscience, and we wrote them in a way that could just be really tangible, actionable and inclusive. Katja from Nesta has some thoughts and turns the question back on us. Also, that people find it easy to understand that that's in fact their driver or that that's what they're trying to do? Or did you kind of, because it's already very interesting, I think that you have questions that get at that at a slightly direct way. So you don't just ask people, um, do you want to you know, feel an impact? But do you find that with different values, people are more or less aware that that's actually what their underlying goal or value is? Currently, myself and the team are trying to change the values into psychometrics and again we're going through this process of doing focus groups and focus groups to keep refining the language that we're using and and keep testing it in different audiences so what we'll do is we'll do a thematic analysis where we essentially reach data saturation in all of our interviews and focus groups and then when these key themes come out we then test them in different audience groups and different focus groups and different interviews and surveys on like a mass scale to see if people understand things that other people have said and so we keep testing and testing and testing and we're currently at that point where we're going through it all again with changing the values into psychometrics which is extremely fun times with the kind of storytelling hat on again for someone to be able to say this is this is what i value in the world right now or to make stories around that that the words have to be actionable and active they have to be I'm not saying simple in like like simple, my little air quotes, but they have to be things that people could literally go, I now understand exactly what you're saying. If it's something completely different, if it's a language or a word that that's kind of excited alien, then it doesn't come up in normal conversation. And so how do you apply that to yourself? And that's a real problem. And I'm I'm really happy that that you spent all that time, I know it was a lot of time, um, to kind of, you know, look at lin- linguistics pretty much to, to get this right, but it's an important thing. Katja Bago reflects on her work at Nesta 
uh, with the Next Generation Internet, which is a strategy and policy arm of the European Commission uh, exploring what the Next Generation Internet could be and how it could be more democratic and more resilient. But it's basically there are things that people actively want to achieve. It's not something fairly fussy, is, which I'm blaming myself, because we have these sort of value statements like, like privacy or democracy or something that in effect could mean a hundred different things. But they're not an action that is per se necessarily intrinsic to something that humans can do. So if you like having stability, pursuing pleasure, these, these kind of things are active statements that is something you can strive towards, that is a tangible thing versus a, a passive statement that's something fair away that doesn't, is quite abstract and doesn't mean that much. So I thought that was very nice because it's maybe the difference is a bit. Um, these are also actually quite different from each other. So if you say something like, well, everyone likes something to be inclusive or something to be democratic or something to be sustainable, right? Even though they're quite often in practice quite contradictory sometimes. If you think, I guess it's a bit re-envisioning the original stack of the internet, right? That was quite, I mean, you have your sort of protocols and your underlying infrastructure, whatever, all the way up to maybe the social interactions it facilitates. And that's the thing we've been trying to do to at least help make sense of a topic this broad and, and see it which different sort of slices of the system we interact, how does interlink and try to take a more um, holistic view. What I find very cool, I guess, uh, about the human values work or the, the work that you're doing is to make that values discussion quite concrete because similarly in the NGI we've been talking a lot about embedding values in the system and you see that more and more, but it's, it's not that concrete. I think sometimes, right? People say like, oh, we just need to make sure it's like this. Whereas I think it's, it's very interesting. You've made it so tangible and it's an, an actual thing that has a set of defined values to begin with. You don't just say values, but, but you have a set of values and it's something that will actually shape interactions that people have with that, not the set of tools or with the BBC than in this case, which is, um, which I think is nice. So it's not just a sort of, I would say, empty framework. And th that's maybe quite similar to the NGI is we're not so much developing that kind of framework, but what we're doing is trying to help policymakers see that we need to move the discussion a bit beyond saying, well, things aren't good, we need values, but okay, things aren't good, you need values, which values and what are concrete tools you have at your disposal that you might be able to use and it can be quite practical things like, I don't know, standard setting and procurement processes or something. Something that's now quite relevant, I guess, in the COVID-19 crisis. It sounds a bit dry, maybe sometimes, but these are the kind of quite concrete things you can do in that any or public organization can now put into their own processes that can make some of discussions quite tangible. Throughout our interviews, um, there was the kind of sense of, you know, the society, the society, how the individual kind of goes hand in hand with the societal. And is there maybe some thoughts around the language that could apply there? Or are you kind of, or is that just kind of right now, let's <laughs> concentrate on, on the individual values? But are you also thinking about the language of the of, of, of groups? There are no plans right now to look at specific group values. I think that would be really fascinating. Um, and it's very important 
because we're delivering technology to the personal level, we want to really understand the personal values and the measurement of those personal values. But we have to go wider in the future. It's just not in our current immediate future. It's something where I think working with other people and collaborating with other people interested in this space will become really essential. And this is a point from Solana Larson from Mozilla Foundation emphasizes as she discusses Mozilla's Internet Health Report, a yearly look at the health of the internet. When we created the Internet Health Report, we tried to think of a way to talk about something like technology in a way that was relatable on a human level, which is why we use the word health. Um, And we tried to think about what it means for the internet to be healthy from, you know, how it exists on the device in your pocket to how it affects the entire world um, or a country or a society. Um, And I think that kind of range from the personal to the global is what we're talking about when we're thinking about the entire ecosystem of the internet and how people engage with it. So I guess when we're talking about human values, um, you know, human is a tricky word and it's used interchangeably with humanity, humane. um, And I think where your emphasis seems to be is a lot on the individual. And I just wonder if you were to ask people questions about their values for society, um, you know, what, what, what you want for yourself might not be the exact same thing that you want for society or for the public or, or however you define it for the world. Um, and I think that is the challenge for us in, in these times <laughs> with this kind of media ecosystem and this kind of communication structure is that the, the, the personal and the global Um, have become so intertwined um, and just like the private and the public have. So I think that any assessment of um, what is valuable also has to look beyond just uh, the personal or the gratification. But I think also nowadays, a lot of our value systems um, and belief systems, particularly in terms of um, consumption of information um, and entertainment online is being defined or kind of changed by the way that we interact with social media um, and different kinds of websites. So, um, you know, it's, it's almost like the, the, the discourse, the narrative, the way that we think about what is valuable has been shifted by um, the very companies Um, that I think public media probably wants to set itself up as a, as a counterpoint to. Um, Yeah. What I'm trying to say is that the individual goes hand in hand with, with the public or the societal interests. Um, I think at least when you're talking about what it means for public service media of the future, I think sometimes people don't, realize what they're getting or um, take certain things for granted. I mean, even just with the internet, I think that, you know, we complain about a lot of things about how the internet works or how big social media companies work and take for granted how amazing it is. 
and how much value we get and how much we learn from it every day and how much just incredibly good information that we consume every day on the internet. It's just a lot easier to complain. And yeah, I think, I think the, the values question is, is super interesting and, and good to look at. Um, but I just think it's, it's important to look beyond the individual. Absolutely. It's that idea of you have to be healthy and safe in yourself. You have to be well first to be able to then help other people to ensure that people's personal values are fulfilled will enable them to then look beyond themselves to the group, to the social values. And that being said, some of these human values, such as connecting, belonging, having impact, are very socially driven values that you look to for the person to be not only part of the group but have impact and help others within the group and this comes back to our very fundamental social needs as social beings and alexandra deschamps santino author consultant entrepreneur ceo of design swarm has the last word in a straightforward way i think that what i like about the values that is that they're very easy to understand you know the uh, level of uh uh, ethical literacy required is very minimal. And so I think that to talk about them is to talk about the human experience and to highlight when that human experience is different. Thank you for listening. And thanks to Alexandra Deschamps Santino, Solana Larson, Katja Baker, Pauline Dresler, David J, Brian Suda for their contributions. This has been a podcast from the Human Values team at BBC Research and Development. For more information, check out our website at bbc.co.uk slash rd, where you can learn more about human values and you can also listen to more of our podcasts.